So last week we discussed, if you were here, how grace wasn't a doctrine that calls us to fold our hands. How grace wasn't a belief that could be ignored. How it's not just a prayer before supper time, or how it wasn't just some you know, churched word just for Christians. The grace of God, the grace of God is not some cute idea that we like pin on Pinterest, or it's not some philosophy, or it's not some piece of good advice, and it's far from a religious program, it's far from an inspirational quote, or even a moral code. So again, if you remember from last week, grace is way more of an axe. Grace is like an axe because it's an offensive awareness and truth that chops its way into our view of God, our view of self, culture, purpose, vocation, and others. Because it's ultimately an axe hacking away the life view that there is something I must do. Grace is hacking away at this, there is something that I must do. That surely in this whole Jesus Christian faith thing, there's something I got, I got, I got to make happen. And grace to that would say, nope. The existence of grace informs mankind and informs all of us here that there is a deficiency in each and every one of us. So when we lay before us the cards of the Christian faith, being Christian if you are here or not Christian if you're here, that there is something I must do, we must do to inherit or receive or enter in or be accepted or make God love us. But grace is a love that hasn't, and hear this, grace is a love that has nothing to do with us. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with us, meaning or what you've done or what you will do or how nice of a guy you are, or how rotten you could possibly be. Grace has everything to do, everything to do, and only to do with the one that is bestowing the grace, the the lover. It has to do with the giver. Now, maybe you're thinking, because I want to make sure we clarify this, if you're thinking, this sure makes this God sound pretty weak. This God sounds like a doormat. Or this God sounds like he ignores sin, but that's simply not the case. And that is frankly the stunning beauty of grace. Grace acknowledges the sewage that runs through our veins and yet offers undeserved pardon, favor, and life everlasting to all. To all, from Trump to Hillary, from the innocent to the guilty, from victims to perpetrators, from Bruins to Trojans, from introverts to extroverts, and from perverts, all the way to Mother Teresa. Grace is extended to all. Which if we slow down, as I was doing in trying to prep this thing, as we slow down, I just kept coming back to, this just seems irrational. This is completely irrational. This idea, this message, this God is completely irrational. Because to us, there is no logic or reason to who receives this immense love. Yet, as irrational as it sounds, the message of God's grace expressed in the work and ministry of Jesus is the greatest 
irrational story the West Side to the ends of the earth need to hear. And it's the only story that has the power to change those who live in the city, including us. And here's the kicker. Listen to this. Here's the kicker. It's the church's commission to tell it. It's the greatest story in the world of grace and this God who loves with unmerited favor. And it's the church's story to tell it. It's our story to tell it, to model it, to live it. Not just the preachers or pastors, professionals, the church. Those who make up the church, those who are called to live the irrational life. It's as if we've been handed an ax. We have to start going and chopping and breaking down doors. Author Jerry Bridges says it this way. The Bible teaches that we are not only saved by grace, but we also live by grace every day of our lives. See, we also live by grace every day of our lives. Listen to how the Apostle Peter, one of Christ's closest followers, says it. As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of Christ's varied grace. So by way of illustration... I was thinking today about a young prodigy, uh, a man by the name of Stephen Wiltshire. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. Um, I don't know. He actually, his nickname is um, the Human Camera. That's his nickname, the Human Camera. Essentially, his giftedness was at the age of six years old into adulthood, he would be so impacted and so obsessed and so overwhelmed by buildings and architecture, he would have to draw them. But the prodigal part comes in, the prodigy part comes in, excuse me, that even as he just drove by London's Natural History Museum, or he would just see Russia's wet red square for like a split second, as he went back to draw it, he could draw it perfectly. He could recreate it perfectly. His illustrations would show every perfect window count or layout or cable lines and so on. And so he not only had immediate impact by what he experienced, but then always produced an immediate impression. You see, to me, this is what Peter was saying, and will be the goal of today as we talk, that each one of us, as we received a gift, use it. Have we received a gift, use it. As we are impacted, then we are to make an impression on life around us. And if we're honest, sometimes the church forgets this. Sometimes we as Christians forget this. I'm sure if I pulled this room, there would be many stories of how churches have forgotten to give grace in our past or how Christians have withheld grace to us in our past. For collective church, I mean, from time to time, we are an extremely imperfect church, nor will we be able to every time be able to give grace. There will be times when we fall and fail but that is our heart's desire to be able to show as much grace as possible. And for those here who don't follow Jesus, maybe this is partly the reason why you don't follow Jesus. That the church or Christians have forgotten the effects of grace or forgotten to give grace. Tonight, I hope that changes. And we as a small part of God's work on the west side, Los Angeles, whatever, can at least exhibit and model in giving grace as we have received grace. That is why it has been so helpful for us to do a slow crawl through the book of Acts. If you've been with us since October, we are doing a very slow crawl through the book of Acts in the Bible. 
As it tells us the early days of Christianity, it tells us how the first church community, much like us, were to live by grace every day of their lives. How they all received the gift of grace and used it. They received the gift of grace and used it to serve one another, to know its saving power, then to live in light of its transforming power. If you notice, Acts has given us a history of the first church, but I really hope us, collective churches, community, has also noticed that it has given us a vision for this church. Because I don't know about you, but it seems like with every turn of the page and every new chapter that we're sort of, like I said, crawling into, I keep scratching my head while simultaneously being inspired to live in a rational life, an upside-down life, an inside-out life, counterintuitive, whatever. To love without logic. To love without logic. To show grace even when all reasoning in my bones is saying, nah. Mm-mm. Much like the man who steps into Acts chapter 9 today and then is gone forever. Today we encounter one of the most forgotten heroes, not only with an Acts, but in all of the Bible. He truly is a microscopic man. He's a gentle man. He's a disciple by the name of Ananias. And pretty much all we know of Ananias is what's expressed in verse 10. Look down at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So not only do we know his name and his location, but we also can see the richness of his relationship with Christ. I say that because he's having a vision, but he knows exactly who it's from before the introduction is made. Ananias, I'm here, Jesus. What's up? See, he know, the sheep knows the voice of his shepherd, showing us that this Ananias is ready. Ananias hears Christ's voice, and he's attentive, and he is willing, kind of. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. So I'm picturing, because I just love this, that it's like Ananias. And he's like, yes, Lord, I'm here. What do you need? I want you to go hang out with a man named Saul. No can do. <laughs> Yowzer. I mean, that's with this sort of unusual reaction. That's going to be a tough one, Jesus. Has anybody in here had a scheduled meeting coming up that just makes you sick? Something scheduled, and every time you see it on your calendar, you're just like, oh, like every time? <laughs> Takes every thought captive and just makes your stomach turn over and over. I was thinking, a lot of you know that you know, I'm very vocal about issues with my father, and I'll never forget a few years ago, that we decided to finally meet and put every card on the table at some El Torito somewhere. <laughs> and we scheduled it like two months in advance. And every day I thought about this, this meeting. It killed me. It killed me. And um, I, I think there's sort of that butterflies, you know, pterodactyls in your stomach for Ananias here. I think we can all relate that this is a meeting like times a million where your skin is just crawling, saying anywhere but there. See, any man but that man, Jesus, please. Now Saul was the most eager man to serve God 
that there ever was. So much so that he was prepared to die for his beliefs and he was prepared to kill for his beliefs. And yet, even though he believed in God, he never truly encountered the living God. Maybe that's true for some people here today. You know, I, you know, I, I believe in a higher power. Or I believe that there's a God, but, but it's completely unknowable. I believe in God, but I, I'm not super into the whole church Bible thing. Or I believe in God, but I'm not super down with this Jesus character. See, much like Saul, even though he had been told over and over and over and over about Christ, he refused to listen. But Saul took it a step further. If you remember, we've been talking about him for quite a few weeks now. If you remember, his mission was to burn to the ground the faith of Christianity. And he was continuing to do this as he was on his way to Damascus to find more Christians to murder. And then a crash happens. And Jesus intersects with Saul. And a light shone so powerful, it knocks him to the ground. A light so powerful, it blinds him. And the only way, what did it say? For him to receive sight, the only way you're going to receive sight is this guy named Ananias is going to show up. Ananias is to show up and go meet with a murderer. Ananias is to meet with a predator with the enemy, with the unlovable, and go rain upon him grace. Now Ananias is to go and draw and make an impression of what he has already received in Christ, but now with Saul. Again, it's no wonder he's reluctant. Look at verse 11 again. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. That was a major road running east and west in Damascus. And the house of Judah... Look for a man, a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. So for the first time, he is truly praying. Verse 12, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so he might receive his sight. He's going to get his sight back. So apparently, Saul's had another vision, but this time about a guy named Ananias. And then here it is. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he's done to your saints. First time we see that word pertaining to Christians in the New Testament. How much you've done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. Basically saying, he's allowed to kill me. I can walk in and he can kill me. And he has a license to do it. Now I found it so helpful for my soul that Ananias pushes back on Jesus. He's real with Jesus. If Jesus would have said, go hang out with a terrorist who was on his way to murder you, and Ananias is like, that ain't no thing. You got it. You got it, God. That would have made me feel terrible every time God had told me to do something, but I was afraid to do it. I would have felt terrible. But may we be comforted, friends. Ananias brings the human element to the story. Ananias is honest with Jesus about his emotions, about his thought process, and about his fears. See, what we're watching, in my opinion, is a healthy prayer life. What we're watching, in my opinion, is a healthy relationship with Jesus. I hope you guys and gals know we're allowed to be honest in our prayers. We're supposed to be honest in our prayers. God, this this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. 
God, this is freaking me out. God, I'm frustrated. God, how long? God, no, thank you. God, I'd rather not. Friends, allow me to ask, when was the last time, Christians, that you had an honest time of prayer? An honest time of prayer. What I love about these verses that hopefully stirs us up is that Jesus could have been easily just appeared to Saul in another light beam thing, appeared to Saul and did like this whole supernatural like discipleship group with him, right? It's like, hey, it's just me. We're going to do this. Now everybody's freaked out by you. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't do that. He very purposely chooses someone to be with him. God wanted Ananias to go be with him. God invites his people to participate. The Lord leads us outward for inward transformation. To go onward and illustrate that our gracious God wants a gracious community. Please hear me, collective church. One of the ways we'll experience God's grace. This is huge. One of the ways we'll experience God's grace is through the ministry of other believers. So one of the ways collective church will experience and watch God's grace happen in this community is through one another. Not just pastors and again, professionals. This is God's primary means of moving in and through this community is through you and me. Simply, do you believe that? Or do you live like you believe that? The Apostle Paul, who once states later in uh, you know, a letter to the Corinthian church, he has said that God has ordained the body of Christ, the church. This is what he says, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. The members may have the same care for one another. See, the church is one giant game of grace frisbee. It's giving and it's receiving in various means to one another. That's the plan, including the irrational idea about channeling grace to those we'd really rather not. Like Ananias to the murderer. Collective church, are we ready to go where the Saul's are? Or are we ready for Saul's to be here? Are we ready to rip our security blankets? Are we ready to shun personal preference for another's good? Are we ready to be inconvenienced? Are we ready to be put in positions where we're afraid? I was thinking, if not, then what in the world are we doing here? If not, then what are we doing? Are we just playing church? I don't know about you. I don't want to play church. That sounds gross. That sounds disgusting. I don't want to play church. Some of us, and I get it with that thought, some of us, I, I'm assuming, are probably in this room jaded on this whole Christian life or this whole church thing. Some of us are jazzed and pumped. This is fresh, new, I'm into this. And some of us have no idea what we're talking about. Grace, I don't know. I'm so proud of this community. I'm so, so proud of this community as you guys are modeling constantly and reminding and revitalizing constantly the grace that has been so lavishly bestowed on this community. I'm so proud of you that we hear all the time, all the time that this is something that we want, the place to be filled with the broken and the made new. Well, a place where people feel welcomed, 
I'm so proud of this community, which is, finds it so, which, which is present. They try hard. You guys try hard to be present when it's so much easier to hide. We constantly, again, hear reports of, of your guys' love or trying to bring people in. This isn't normal. This isn't normal. Please, I just wrote my note. I, I just, I don't know what to say to you other than please don't stop. Don't stop smiling. Don't stop inviting people over for dinner to your homes. Don't stop playing beach volleyball on Sunday afternoons, wherever that crew is. <laughs> don't stop including people in your conversations. You see somebody, invite them in. Don't stop praying for somebody immediately when they say life sucks. Don't stop being obedient when it's far more convenient to just be fearful. Much like Ananias. Look at verse 15. For the Lord said to him, Go. Go. He's a chosen vessel, a chosen instrument for mine to carry out before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he has to suffer for my name's sake. See, like all Christians who will suffer, Saul is going to suffer to a great degree. So Ananias departed to enter the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother. I read those verses and I read them, you know, reread them, then I reread them, reread them, and reread them. And every time I tripped over the word brother, like a hurdle I just couldn't get over as a fat kid in junior high. I just kept tripping over this word. <laughs> to me, it is the most heavy word in our set of verses tonight. Look at this. So Ananias departed it into the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother. could be the very first time Saul in his entire life has ever felt a warm embrace from a Christian, ever had a Christian pray for him, ever been called a brother, ever been treated warmly. Now let's breathe this in. Wouldn't it have been completely justified for Ananias to come in, sit down on the couch across from him and go, let's just get this out on the table. I don't like being here. I don't like you. I don't like what you've done, but I'm being obedient to God to be here. I don't approve. I don't affirm what you've done, but I love my God, and he told me to be here. I feel like that would have been easily justified because it's completely possible for Ananias to have images and memories of friends and family that Saul could have easily slaughtered. He definitely knows, obviously, what's going on. Now, here's the kicker, and what's true for grace is grace isn't forgetting those things that Saul has done. Grace is forgiving despite of those things. Ananias isn't shoving out of the way that this guy is evil. He's forgiving and being present and loving despite all of those things. See, Ananias is an example of discipleship. There's no shock value. Ananias is an example of gentleness, of kindness, and of grace. Lord, forgive, I mean, Lord, forgive me. How quickly I, I am so quick to condemn and to judge and to ignore and to avoid and to hit the red button when somebody's making a phone call. Heaven, no. To withhold grace from both Christians and unchristians. And I don't know about you, but I'm extremely fast to write people off that their hope in Jesus or their salvation is far easier to quit on than pray for. 
I confess that I more often than not believe that my father is a complete lost cause or my sibling is a complete lost cause. But the conversion of Saul should ring true that no one is out of reach. And what's awesome though, that there is not a thing Saul has done to earn the grace and kindness from Ananias in this moment. See, all Saul knows is religiosity. That's all he knows. All Saul knows is what do I need to do right now to be accepted? How hard do I need to work to earn, to be loved, to get? What bad things need to be avoided so God has good pleasure in me? And instead of Saul working towards or earning anything in that moment, Saul is literally in a fetal position on the floor, blind, starving, dehydrated, dazed, and confused. I mean, he's basically like the image of shriveled up Voldemort underneath the white bench. I mean, that's what he's like right now. He can offer nothing. He can offer nothing in this moment. Nor, neither can you or I. See, Ananias, knowing this, doesn't cry out, beast! He whispers, brother. Ananias doesn't make any demands. He only delivers. Ananias is doing the irrational, and it's completely epic. Ananias, by showing grace, is logically loving the wrong person. This doesn't make any sense. I just couldn't get past how Christ-like Ananias was, showing us how we are to live by grace with others. Ananias is so being like Jesus right here. See, Jesus was always giving and loving to the wrong people. Always to the wrong people. His entourage was thieves and thugs, half-breeds, farmers, lepers, prostitutes, and the most extravagant sinners you would ever, ever meet. There was no caution with Jesus and with his compassion for the worst to the best. He didn't play it safe maybe like some of us are here today. An irrational life like the grace of Jesus is reckless generosity, like we see in Jesus, like we see in Ananias. An irrational life like the grace in Jesus is uncomfortable embraces. It's never once does an irrational life keep score. And it always, always gives with never any expectation of transaction or to get in return. I like the way author Preston Sprinkle says it. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. It's one-way love. Isn't that a brilliant way of describing Jesus for us and now Ananias for Saul. This is so great. Get this. He simply accepted Saul. Ananias accepted Saul for who he was and not what he should have been. The grace of God means full acceptance of a person fully known. I didn't say affirmation. I said acceptance. Maybe Saul had Ananias in his thoughts when he later penned this to the Roman Christians. He said, may the God of endurance 
and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pay attention. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We'll only start to accept others by understanding the way that we have been accepted and welcomed by Jesus. I, I was extremely struck and convicted and bothered today to think about how God accepts me or how I believe God accepts some today. And again, I hope that the acts of grace is hopefully chipping that away as a performance-based relationship. But if we believe that to be true of God, in our own life right now, that we are on a performance-based relationship with God, there is something I must do for him to love me. If we are starting to believe that, then we will believe and we will accept on a performance basis relationship with others. Then we will extend the same acceptance to others. And friends, that is not acceptance. That is looking for approval. My relationship with God is performance-based and I will start to do performance-based stuff here. And people will really start to start looking for approval or I will start looking for approval. And that is not what we see with Ananias and Saul nor Jesus and his people. It's full acceptance. See, Saul did not have Ananias' approval, nor did he need it. But he had his acceptance, just as Ananias had Christ's welcoming acceptance. Is there anyone right now that you're not accepting? pushed to a side, a loved one, somebody in your family, somebody at work. See, if we don't understand the grace that is the Lord Jesus and how it applies to this present life, then any discipleship, care, financial giving, relationship, building, serving, and volunteering, mission, community, faith and work, forgiveness, love, or even scripture reading in the morning, prayer, communion, and song. If we do not understand Christ's full acceptance and Christ's grace, then all of that stuff will seem like one giant inconvenience. But to grow in grace, yes, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. To grow in grace, we'll see that it's not an inconvenience, but transformation like we said last week, I want, to see, I want you to see these two talks intertwined. Grace transforms us and transforms that list I just rattled off. And it also transforms our desires, our behaviors, and our motivations. See, what I'm pressing us towards today with the account, the inspiring account of Ananias, is for us to be aware that God will send us. Christians, God will send you to bestow that grace upon those you really don't want to. Ananias acknowledges that he was sent. Look at verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, I'm trying to motivate us healthily, to go healthily. So hear me out, because it would be a darn shame to talk on grace and all of a sudden push work and do and work and do or pressure you to do and be. And that is not what I'm advocating for at all. I do want us to be compelled, but with proper gospel-bound, God-word, 
driving grace motivation. I, for years, even in pastoral ministry, and still do from time to time, find the bones in my body trying to work and run as if God's love towards me changes with every temptation or every sin, or somehow God's love or acceptance changes with me with every good sermon or bad sermon. It ain't happening. I want us to be motivated, motivated like Ananias, not when we feel something or have wealthier incentive. Grace-driving motivation has little to do with feelings, has little to do with feelings or inclination. Right? It did with Ananias. Rather, it refers to the reason why we do or don't do something. Motivation refers to the reason why we do or don't do something. And for the person saved by grace, the reason then to give grace, to live by grace, can only be a response to the cosmic abundance of grace that we already have manifested in Christ Jesus. Let's put a bow on this thing and let's see how God uses Ananias in Saul's life. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. So something flaky, something like bits of dried snakeskin fell from his eyes. So that's kind of nasty. And Saul was immediately baptized. Again, this is a very common practice and one-time obedient action for the person who sincerely trusts in Jesus. It's proclaiming, baptism proclaiming to the world, I am his and he is mine. It's not magic water. It's not some weird holy water. This is something that is done at the moment somebody chooses to put their life in Jesus. It is a conscious choice. We call it believer's baptism. See, Saul Saul wasn't sprinkled as an infant. Once Saul knew Jesus at a conscious level, Saul followed Christ's words and action, and he too was baptized. He too was immersed. Look at verse 19. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So he's got some buddies. He's being discipled. He's with people. And immediately Paul proclaimed, excuse me, Saul, I mean, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying he is the son of God. Do we get that? Immediately in the synagogues, he is proclaiming he is the son of God. The very same synagogues that he had a license to go in there and rip people apart. And he's walking in, and by his very preached word, he's making people whole and new. That is powerful. The people who knew what he was coming to do when Saul walked through the door, they must have been freaking out. Or the chief priest must have been like, all right, now, here we go. Saul's here. And Saul's like, Jesus loves me. (laughs) This I know. (laughs) And the Bible tells me so. He starts proclaiming that Jesus is the son of God. Everybody must have been freaking out. Wow. Verse 21. And all who, who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. What joy this must have brought to Ananias' heart to see his disciple, to see his friend, and to see his brother now going and preaching the grace of the Lord Jesus. Going and preaching the Son of God to all. 
Friends, let's stop there. But before I pray tonight, I urge you, I invite you to lay aside any crumbs or remaining towers of performance-based acceptance of doing to get with God or with one another, thinking you can make God love you any more than he already does, or by doing something sinful that he'll love you less than, I mean, that's impossible. That he can love you any less. Tonight, admit your deficiencies, confess your deficiencies, and drink deeply from the infinite grace of God. And then, hear me, and then, in deep awareness of what you have received, extend, extend, extend that same spirit of grace to others. Let's pray.